everybody, and welcome to this month's edition of Refuel. I am your host, Scott Bragg, and I have a very special guest with me today, my good friend, Howard Abrams, who is president of Sokolis Group. Hello, Howard. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It is my pleasure. So listen, before we get into what we're going to talk about, which is we, we've we been talking a lot over the last six months since we've been doing refuel about the issues related to people that buy fuel, right? So a lot of our, a lot of our listening audience is, is fleets, right? So we have fleets, we have carriers, uh, we have shippers, we have brokers, but really the fuel piece of this is for, is for our fleets. So we've talked about all kinds of things and today we're going to get into the importance, and I've been saying this all along, but the importance of verifying the price that you get charged on your invoice. Not enough people do it, right? But before we do that, I just want to brief everybody what's going on in the market. So we're in pretty much a, a down market today. So WTI, the benchmark crude grade, has <clears throat> cracked through $70, which was a pivotal support level. It's gone below that. Ultra low sulfur on the futures exchange is about $2.30 this morning. So that's come off. We are in a bit of a, a holding pattern here with the markets. Uh, there's a little bit of optimism that the markets will hold given the impending debt ceiling deal that we think is going to happen. We don't know, but hopefully we will get somewhere with that. I also want to point out, and this is very, very important, we have pretty low inventories of diesel fuel. We are at about 120 million and we are well below the three-year and five-year average. And we're also well below day supply. So as long as prices are flat, we don't really have too much of a problem. But I always tell people, bear in mind and think about those DOE inventories that come out every week. You should read those. You should get some information about what's going on with that. It gives you a backdrop to the market. So having said that, how long do you and I go back, Howard? Uh, I think it's got to be close to 30 years, Scott. Uh, probably mid-90s, maybe late-90s. You and I were both 12 when we started, right? <laughs> right. We're showing our age here. Howard's company is called the Sokolis Group, and these guys are amazing. They have done terrific work over the years helping fleets, and really anybody that buys fuel, any of your customers, really explaining the importance of verifying the price that you are charged on your invoice. And that was the bulk of what I spent doing at my 40 years at Opus was working with people, selling price discovery to them, helping them identify the right price, making sure they verify it because it could be a big mess. And Howard, correct me if I'm wrong on any of that. Like, um, what, what do you think about the whole idea in general of verifying invoices? I mean, it's pretty important. Absolutely necessary. And a lot of folks, they take a lot of pride in deals they may negotiate, and we do that for our clients. We negotiate deals. But what's the point of having a great deal in place if you're not verifying it? Fuel prices change every day, and sometimes when things are really crazy, they may change a few times per day. So it's absolutely necessary to be sure that you are getting that correct price and that, that price is in compliance with the deal that you negotiated. Right. Well, the history of people who have got burned by not verifying invoices that, you know, we could probably uh, go back years talking about how many people that's happened. With. All right. So, so talk us through it, if you don't mind, Howard. So, you know, I go, I'm, I'm a carrier. Okay. I negotiate a fuel deal 
what are the price components in that fuel deal that I really need to be cognizant of? Well, there, there could be many different components depending on the, the type of uh, fueling method we're, we're talking about here. So if we're talking about bulk fuel, uh, there could be many different line items in addition to the, the price of the fuel itself. There could be freight surcharges. There could be pump fees, a uh, variety of things that need to be negotiated and clearly spelled out and then verified. If we're talking about over the road or retail fueling, it's a little bit more straightforward there. Uh, what you're really looking at, assuming we're talking about a cost plus deal, uh, you need to be able to verify the price using that index that was used as the negotiating benchmark. You need to make sure that that is correct for that day. And, and you have to specify when you're doing the negotiating, which ties into the validating, um, what that benchmark is. Are you using Opus? Are you using Platts? Are you using something else that may be an independent benchmark? Um, so you want to be able to get that information on a daily basis so that you can check that price, make sure that that plus whatever the negotiated margin is, that agrees to the fuel price. Um, there's also a freight component typically with the truck stops that may be factored into that price. You should be able to verify that from a price sheet that they would send you. And uh, then there's the taxes. You have the taxes also. So, okay. So you mentioned, so let's just go back and make sure everybody understands this. So when we say bulk, what we're talking about is when I have fuel delivered to my storage facility by my distributor, right? That's what we're talking about with bulk versus over the road where I get my truck on the road, I go out, I fuel at a, at a truck stop or wherever I fuel, and now I've got that price to verify. Cost plus, just so everybody understands this, is probably the most common formula in the industry. And what it uses is what Howard is talking about is a published price. So let's stay with that for a second. So, you know, one of the things that you asked and you you want to ask about with this is, do our subscriber, the people that are watching this, do they get a price benchmarking service? You know, what what is it that they get? So if I'm starting out from scratch, I don't know what the heck we're talking about with a price benchmarking service. Walk us through that. Well, okay. So a good example would be Opus, the oil price information service. And this is an independent company. What they're doing is they are gathering wholesale prices. They gather a lot of different types of prices besides wholesale. But in this particular case, we're going to use the wholesale price benchmark that Opus gathers. Um, they've got close to 400 markets all around the country where they're gathering these prices. And what they're doing is they're forming different benchmarks with the different inputs from the various suppliers in each market. Uh, as a simple example, they'll give you what the low price is for that market, what the average price is, the high price that can be broken down by branded fuel versus unbranded fuel. And all these things form the benchmark for that day. It, it can even be different times of the day, too. So it, it can get a little bit detailed there, but that's the idea of it, that this, in, when we're using Opus as an example, they are gathering all this information independently and forming these uh, calculations. So uh, another example, which is very common, a lot of these negotiated contracts are going to be based on the Opus average for a particular market. And when you're negotiating, it's important that you're going to specify, well, what market is that price going to be tied to? And I'll give you an example. So in Dallas, for instance, might seem simple. Like we want to we want to buy fuel in Dallas. We want to negotiate based on the benchmark for Dallas. But actually, there, there's several different Opus markets around Dallas. 
uh, off the top of my head, there may be five of them, depending on the where you're at geographically. So you have to be really clear about that. The prices may be similar on any given day, but you're not going to be able to validate and really tie it out correctly unless you specify which Opus market or, or Rack City is commonly known. Uh, you need to specify that. You also need to specify the product. And uh, there will be many different products that will be in the Opus information for a given day. Uh, some of them are similar. So uh, in Texas, it's another example where in some markets you may have LED fuel. And uh, uh, you know at the same time, you may have regular ultra-low sulfur. So you have to be very specific what product you're talking about. Um, Minnesota is another example where you have many different bio blends. Are we talking about a, a B20 blend in the summertime? Are we talking about maybe a B5 in the wintertime? You have to have all that specified and make sure that that is the information that you're getting from Opus or any other provider that's out there. And you're using that to do the validation. Yeah. So, you know, and I wish I had you working for me when I worked at Opus because it's like you're really that's that they are the most commonly used benchmark for these types of deals, right? So where this becomes important and, and what we've been talking about with our listeners over over the last few months is, you know, you need to have a relationship with your supplier, right? You need to have a good relationship with that supplier. And it's okay to go to that supplier and say, <clears throat> okay, where does my fuel come from? So that is the first step in helping you understand which of those 400 rack cities you should be using with 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 Opus. Let me ask you a question though, Howard. So in your course of your validating, so I know you use rack prices and probably the most frequently used is going to be Opus, but what about spot prices? Do you see a lot of deals where people are using like a Platts price or an Argus price as a cost basis with a plus added on? For for our client base, that's really not as typical. Um there, when we're dealing with prospects, though, what we find oftentimes when we're talking about bulk buying is they will do spot buys, but they're just picking and choosing which supplier they want to deliver the fuel based on quotes they got that day. So it's, it's in that context. Um, for us, what we typically do, and, and you had just mentioned relationships, we think relationships are very important when it comes to fuel suppliers. So typically what we would recommend is that you get set up with a particular supplier who's going to deliver that fuel each time you need a load delivered. Um, it's, it's, there's some loyalty that comes along with that. There's also other concepts like rateable gallons that they can count on from you that help in doing that negotiation, negotiating. So that's really important when it comes to relationships. Right. And what we tell people, so when I, when I taught my fuel buying class and actually your friend, Glenn Sokolis, who is the founder of the company, was one of the guest speakers at one of the courses that I taught. You know, one of the things that we tell people is never underestimate the amount of fuel that you buy, right? Because the more fuel you buy, the bigger a bat you're going to swing when you go to the negotiating table, right? Because you got to remember that, you know, fuel is important to you. For you, for the carrier, fuel is going to be a cost center, right? It's a cost center for you. For your supplier, it's a revenue center. So they need to have a lot of rateability. They need to have that volume because that helps them when they go to negotiate their contracts with their suppliers. But let's let's stay with the rack stuff because I think you bring up a really good point. Most of the stuff that we're going to see in the course of talking about verification is going to have a rack basis. 
But you brought up something that I think I want you to expand on a little bit because Opus has different pricing times when they benchmark prices, right? So when I do a contract, I want to make sure what? That I'm specifying that with my supplier, right? Yes. So for instance, um, we typically use the 10 o'clock in the morning average price. A lot of times that's a common common one. Um, honestly, off the top of my head, I'm not sure what other times of the day there are. There's at least one. It might be in the evening, but I, I'm not I'm not positive about that. So yeah, you want to specify that because again, with the way that there could be volatility in the market, that price at 10 o'clock may not be the same by the end of the day. Correct. So just for the for edification for our, our viewers or people that are listening to this. So with rack prices, they are published daily with the exception of Sunday, right? They're published Monday through Saturday. There is what is called a 10 o'clock contract average. This is from Opus. There's a 10 o'clock contract average. And then there's a 459 closing average. The bulk of deals that are done are done on that 10 o'clock number, right? Do you find that with your customers? that they tend to do the 10 o'clock pricing? Yeah, that works out well. And uh, with the truck stops, when we're talking about cost plus deals at the truck stop, um, that's what we see come over on their price sheet. That's what we're negotiating with bulk fuelers or uh, mobile fuelers, on-site mobile fuelers. And you brought up a good point too that I want to mention. So like Dallas is a great example, right? So you can't, if you decide that you want to get price discovery for Dallas, you can't just call up Opus and go, I need Dallas pricing. They're going to be like, well, which Dallas do you want? There's like seven of them. So there's different subterminals that they break out. Do you ever find that you get into an issue of gross versus net in terms of the billing, the payment terms with your folks? Well, are we talking about gross gallons versus net gallons or are we talking about discounts here? The discount, the prompt payment discount. So, because, And the reason I ask this is, because if you go to Opus and you say you want to buy a rack from them, they're going to say, do you want, first you got to decide, you got to figure out what the terminal is, but then you got to say, do I want the gross price, which leaves in a prompt payment, or do I want it removed, which takes it out? That was the one thing, and, and I don't know if you ran across this, but in my experience at Opus, that was when things would typically go sideways in the verification process. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, we're, we're using gross, so it, it hasn't caused any problem that I'm aware of. Okay. Okay. All right. So let's talk about how do I, when I go to negotiate this contract, right? And I've got to figure out the plus in the cost plus, right? So I've figured out my rack is going to be the Dallas Metro, let's say, right? And I'm going to use, I'm going to use either the Opus Low if I'm a really good negotiator, or I'll probably wind up using the average. Okay. Now, how do I figure out that plus? What 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 do you tell people to do with that? Well, that that's that's a good question, and see that that's where we have an advantage because we see so many deals. We we're involved with negotiating so many deals. So I think really what it comes down to is what kind of volume are you going to be buying, and are you rateable? But to actually know what that number is for your particular fleet, it's it's really hard to say if. If we're talking about maybe 10,000 gallons a month, you might not even be able to negotiate a cost plus deal. But when you start getting into the bigger numbers, maybe you're doing, doing 25,000 gallons a month, 50,000 gallons a month, it, it's going to have an inverse relationship. The adder is going to get smaller as your gallons get bigger. That's, that's the best way that I can describe it. I can't say to you um, 
you know, it should be X. It's not a simple answer like that. It's going to depend on the fleet and it's going to depend on, uh, especially if we're talking about mobile fuel, um, it's going to depend on how far does that mobile fueler have to drive out to get to your facility? How easily can they navigate through the facility? So you could have a good amount of gallons, but there could be other factors that come into play that are going to impact that adder. Explain to us what mobile fueling means. Well, the best way that I can describe it is um, you know, a lot of people see these small tank trucks, heating oil trucks, uh, driving around. Uh, basically, it's a small tank truck, maybe holds about 4,000 gallons, and that'll drive onto a client's site where all their trucks are parked. And normally, it'll be set up in a particular delivery window, say maybe overnight between 1 o'clock in the morning and 4 o'clock in the morning. The mobile fueler will drive their truck on site. The driver of that truck will get out, unroll the hose, and then start going around and put fuel into each one of the, the client's vehicles. So it's truck-to-truck, on-site fueling. That's mobile fueling. Some people call it wet hosing. Uh, so whoever's out there, they're, they're probably familiar with it, maybe if they refer to it in that type of uh, reference, but on-site mobile fueling. Is it mainly for smaller fleets? Is that it tends to work better for smaller fleets, or does it matter? Um you know what? It's really going to come down to how many gallons at a particular site can you pump. And general rule of thumb, we usually look at a site with 3,000 gallons or more in a month. That may have potential, but it's also important to understand the client's operations and whether or not most of their trucks are going to be parked on site within a delivery uh, given delivery window. So you want to try and maximize the gallons. If, if you're still going to fuel over the road, and sometimes that's necessary. Maybe the mobile fueler can't hit every vehicle in a, in a given delivery. But if the mobile fueler gets out there and every time they try and put fuel into a tank and they only get two gallons instead of maybe 50 gallons, it's not a very efficient delivery. And ultimately, that's going to impact you. It's, they're going to come back and say, we're not getting the gallons that we need here to, to make this a win-win, really, from a pricing perspective. So is it is it a fair statement, do you think, that with regard to the plus, you should, as a fuel buyer, negotiate the best that you can and leverage your volumes with your supplier to get a better plus? Yeah, that's a fair statement. And for somebody who doesn't see a lot of different deals and they're trying to figure out, well, how hard can I push, get some competitive bids. And if we're talking about, if we're talking about retail or over the road, talk to a few different fueling networks see what they're willing to offer for the volume that you have. And that'll give you, that'll give you some feel for whether or not you're getting close to the best deal you might be able to negotiate there. So t- talk real quick, if you, if you don't mind about freight charges, surcharges, pumps, all that stuff. How does that fit into this whole thing? Well, they're, they're all additional fees that are going to ultimately impact your total PPG. That's the easiest way to to explain it really. I mean, some of them are self-explanatory as far as freight goes. That's to help cover the cost of actually getting the fuel to your site. Or in the case of the the truck stops, it's getting the fuel to their site. There's a cost to transport it. So that's that's going to come out in the freight line. I'm sorry, these are all going to be line items on the invoice, correct? Yeah, for bulk fuels. For retail, it's going to be all wrapped up in the PPG. In the in the price you pay at the pump. So let let's talk about freight for a second because I, in the course of my travels at Opus, I have, I saw so many people that were just accepting what they were offered in terms of the freight component, right? 
they were like, yeah, all right, I'll take it. We had, I will never forget this. I had one lady who her, her gasoline station was probably about maybe, maybe seven miles from a terminal. And she was paying upward of 16 cents a gallon for freight. And it was crazy, right? But she'd been paying that for years and nobody, until she came through my class, she didn't know that this is something that she could look into. How can somebody make sure that they're being charged correctly on freight? Well, that's a tough question, to be honest with you, because what we're talking about is uh, it's, it's a cost that's essentially being passed through. So there's not as much transparency there to know what is your supplier really paying uh, to, to transport the fuel. Best case is trying to figure out whether or not it's a reasonable number. And when we take a look at the truck stop, for instance, typically we're seeing freight costs that are somewhere hovering between five and seven cents per gallon. Okay. So, uh, you know, when you just mentioned 16 cents, wow, that, that sounds really high. It just, you kind of have a, have to get a feel for it based on uh, getting close. Like I was saying before, getting bids, figuring out what is that freight charge going to be and seeing whether or not it's reasonable. But whether or not you can truly validate that that is the true cost, that's a difficult thing to do because the transparency is not there. Right, right. Well, we would tell people a lot of times, just call up local carriers, right? Just call up local carriers and just try to get some sense of whether what you're being charged is correct or not. I'd also go back and say that that was the exception. Most times we would see with people that they were being charged fairly, but there were situations where people were just accepting the price and not really looking into it. What about things like winter additives? So how, how do you know when, is it a seasonal thing? And is that something you, you figure out with your suppliers? Like, how does that work? You, usually the suppliers will be upfront about what their winter additive treatment schedule is going to be. Now, there could be some exceptions, maybe if cold weather hits unusually early in the season or late, then it may be necessary. But typically, they're going to say, we're going to start doing the winter additive on this date. Maybe it's going to be October 1st. Um, some parts of the country, maybe it even needs to start a little bit earlier. But they'll be transparent about what the schedule is going to be when they intend to do that. Then there will be times throughout the winter when it gets so cold that it's beyond winter additive and they start having to do some tarot blending. So that's an ad hoc situation. You don't necessarily know when that's going to happen, but um, at least when it does happen, you kind of have an idea. Uh, maybe it's going to be a 20% blend and it adds a little bit of a complication because validating the price can become a little bit more difficult. Now you've got two different products. That's why they need you guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we take a look at that. We make sure that it, everything's reasonable and you know, we're, we're not watching the weather forecast every day. So it's a little bit hard to say, was, was caro blending really necessary that day? You know, but we're working with reputable suppliers and we're going we're gonna to trust their judgment there. I do have one more question for you about freight. I meant to ask you this before. So if I get a partial delivery, if I got a partial load and I don't take a full-size load, how does that impact the freight cost? Well, that's going to depend on what's negotiated with the suppliers. So ideally, you'll have a freight cost per gallon with will only be charged on the gallons that were delivered. So if you have a short load, you're not going to pay for a full load of freight. That would be ideal. But in some cases, for whatever reason, with the supplier's operations, that may be the way they handle it. Um, if, you, if you've got a short load, they may say, no, we've got to charge it for the full load. It's something to be negotiated, though. Something, right. So it comes back down to having that 
relationship with your supplier, right? It comes down to that and having that line of communication. Listen, I would, we're almost nearing our time, but I still have a lot of questions for you. Would you, do you mind if we come back and talk a little bit more about how we do an internal process of verifying prices? Absolutely. I'd love to. Yeah, I'm having a good time. Let's keep it going. Well, that was great. Howard, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being on our show. Um, Come back next month. We are going to do part two of this where we talk about some other things that you need to really know about bringing this process internally into your business.